Okay. Oh, side note right away. The guy doing this interview uh, was working with me on my TV show. He is now uh, turned into a documentary directory doing independent Japanese music. Uh, bands like the Bloodthirsty Butchers, Boredoms, Yamaguchi Hujio. Really cool documentary work. Uh, he was set out to do an extensive lifetime story interview of me. And uh, he's first asking me right now, his name's Kaguchi Jun, by the way. Jun's asking me um, about how I ended up, how I, how I grew up in Japan. Basically explaining here that my parents were brought up as missionaries, brought me up as missionary kids. Uh, they were young Christians from Texas, America, who somehow decided to move to Japan. My sister was about one years old at the time, and uh, they set off to Japan. Uh, it was the time when they had what were called lifetime missionaries. Uh, these days, they people could fly around. Lifetime missionaries would go to a country, learn the language, get cultural training. I'm saying here that my father was at a very, very famous private school called Aoyama Gakui, uh, where he went to language training. Interesting side note here is uh, this private school uh, is where my son actually goes to school. Now he's nine years old at school, Aoyama Gakui. Talking about how at the time uh, we came to Japan, my sister was one. I was just born in Tokyo, and we were living here in Aoyama. Uh, this is 1991。ね、俺70年、俺70年生まれ。70年生まれ。70年生まれ。70年生まれ。70年生まれ。70年生まれ。70年生まれ。70年生まれ。70年生まれ。70年生まれ。70年生まれ。70年生まれ。70年生
where all the schools were Japanese. Uh, the only memories I have of growing up were not knowing any other white people. Uh, this area was an area where many people have maybe not seen a foreigner firsthand. It's a long ways out of Tokyo. Uh, you don't see foreigners in you go talk to him. He's saying, yo, what's up? You know, there's very, very few foreigners in rural Japan. This latest, the early 70s. He's asking if uh, I remember feeling different back then, or if I remember that you know that feeling that I'm describing now of not having anybody similar to me around. I'm telling him uh, that I only remember stories that were told by my mother. One uh, episode that she's told uh, is that at the airport, uh, maybe when I was three or four years old in America, first time to America traveling, uh, I had become lost at the airport in the information desk. I was crying, where's my mom? Where's my mom? But only, okasan doko, okasan doko, which is Japanese words, my mom. Very confused about language differences. He's now asking me uh, if uh, me being brought up as a missionary kid, uh, that you know, they were people that had a message, even though it might have been religious. Uh, does he feel that that's affecting who I am today? Uh, that is maybe not the first thing that would come to mind. Uh, I'm talking to him that I have a lot of respect for my parents, if, uh, aside from religious specifics. They were very good people. You know, their general mission in life was to be good and to show love. And uh, that, you know, I hope has uh, influenced me. I hope it has set the morals that I have. Um, maybe the church environment wasn't really what I could relate to so much, but a baseline more of uh, being good, which June is having a hard time to believe, because I'm reminding him about the strip club we just at, and smoking pot, and being crazy, and like, maybe that's not the first thing you'd come to think of as a missionary, but inside I would hope that, you know, I have morals that were set to me by my parents, and just being a wild young adult. He's asking me now uh, about my name, Brian. And uh, do my parents have some meaning to it? Often Japanese names have deeper meanings to the characters. Uh, I'm telling him of my mother's hometown in East Texas, which is a dry community where they sell alcohol. In this Texas town, there were very few people, and uh, I even jokingly at Christmas dinner last year talked about how there were so few people in the town that all of her relatives were inbred, to which she said, oh, Brian, don't say that. Only two of them were. <laughs> so, yeah, well, she did have some inbred uh, relatives, I guess. But anyway, a small town, Lingville, Texas. Most of the people named there were named Brian. Uh, a lot of people's uh, last names were Brian. And my mom's maiden name was also Brian. So somehow, they named my name Brian. Uh, I guess they hadn't thought about the fact that she'd gotten divorced to take to the maiden name. My name was going to be Brian. Brian. But, uh, yeah, that didn't happen. Um, I have a hyphenated last name. I didn't know a lot about it uh, at the time I was doing this interview, obviously, because I'm telling him that my name had been hyphenated as far back as history goes back to my father's English and Welsh background. 
Uh, I'm going to side note there because we've since found out that it's not true. Um, that there's uh, some uh, strange history in my, my, my last name, and uh, it was actually a false name that he used. Lewis. Anyways, um, so I'm mumbling and jumbling about what history we thought we knew at the time, which had been passed on to me by my dad, is that there was some sort of legal background with us. Um, he's uh, now asking me about that, but, uh, you know, like, uh, if there's a, a meaning to the word brand, um, which I was thinking, uh, maybe it was the, it was the famous racehorse in Japan called Nanita Brian, that, you know, can be a racehorse kind of thing. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't know, Latin roots to it, whatever, but it's not in the same way Japanese characters have meanings. So he's asking me how long I was in Ibaraki Prefecture. Uh, so I was there from when I was one, two, uh, in Studa. They were building this massive city. This is right during the bubble, right? So there was tons of government money. So they were building space centers, nuclear centers, they were, uh, agriculture centers, they were paving roads, making indoor pools. And there was a Japanese uh, elementary school. Uh, so this uh, brand new elementary school was built in the middle of the boondocks. So you had a mix of children there who were either farmers' kids or scientists' kids, and then a handful of foreigners like me because there were visiting foreign professors and uh, scientists. So, uh, in some sense, my school was uh, maybe one of the first international schools. I remember the uh, national broadcast uh, coming to, to uh, interview us, to interview the school. So, actually, my first television appearance was probably on public broadcast when they came to my elementary school. And I was like, yo. Um, so there was a very experimental angle um, at this school about how to create uh, new educations for international kids or half kids in Japan. So they actually had a special room where they thought that these kids would benefit from studying their own language aside from Japanese. So for certain class periods of school with the Japanese curriculum, the foreign kids were all allowed to go to a special room. Uh, this sounded like a good plan, but all it meant for us was playtime. We would uh, just get that room and uh, play. And maybe it took away from some of our Japanese education. <coughs> my parents were also uh, very persistent about me learning my American English. My mother, who was a uh, uh, teacher, Whoa. get the phone. <laughs> I'm looking for my phone right now. <laughs> my mom taught me uh, American English from an American curriculum uh, from correspondence school in America. They had built a little hut in the yard, and uh, she would get me in there and try to get me to study American states, presidents, or whatever. Um, he's asking me more about that elementary school, how they separated the kids. He was asking me if I played with Japanese kids. <laughs> um, I actually uh, he remember in my early elementary years, uh, kids get picked up, so it's nothing special, but I do remember catching a lot of heat. Like from other kids. Um, about being a foreigner, you know, they'd be like, oh, your eyes look like uh, you know, glass balls or you know, would, whatever. Um, but yeah, just as any other kid, you know, you beat up the brother's eyes and become friends. And, 
You'd get a. You'd get really a. I'm listening to my. How I would spend my days out there. We go fishing or bicycling. We go boxing in the fields. And uh, basically, it was just outdoor fun. Uh, part of the fun part about living in scuba, he's talking about, is that there's a lot of high tech stuff. And you can kind of get in these underground passageways that we built. And there's a lot of places to explore. And obviously, the Japanese kids are out. There's um, another angle about friends, maybe, was that there was a long history of the kind of missionaries that would be here for a long, long time. They couldn't fly back and forth all the time. So there was an area in Japan uh, that's been going on for like 100 years where missionaries would all get together from all over Japan just for the summertime. So if you had an American summer system, you had two months to meet up in the mountains for... Yeah. All of a sudden, there's a lake there, Lake Lojiri, and that's where we would all congregate. And that is actually where a lot of my social behavior with foreign kids uh, takes place, just during those two months. And I did have a lot of very close friends, close friends maybe that I could you know, relate to in a lot of ways. Uh, extra sports, yeah. Played some football. He's talking about, you know, like, soccer teams. Right? I'm talking about, like, several kids sometimes often have identity complexes. They can't quite relate to the people where they go back home to where their parents are from, and they're not quite allowed to fit in where they're you know, born and raised. <coughs> so it can be complex, but uh, I was describing that even like on a soccer team, uh, that the Japanese people tend to have a inferiority complex towards white people. That white people were better at things, uh, white people were good at things, that they were rich, whatever. Uh, so I was telling him that, you know, even at a very young age, I could hardly play soccer, but I was always had a good position on the team because the opposing team would be like, oh my gosh, they have a corner. Right? And uh, it's part of my complex is that, you know, didn't have to actually be good, but everybody would uh, kind of think you He was asking about girls. Um... Mm-hmm. You know, like that the girls, uh, it was maybe not like a, I was in an age maybe there because uh, I was still there at elementary school. Um, I go to American school from junior high school in Tokyo. And, uh, from that area where I was with my parents, there was another missionary family with kids, and they all went to a boarding school in Tokyo. And he had come back on weekends, and as I was growing into my older, or younger teens, he was like, you should come and live in the dorm. And uh, so I thought that was a great idea. And when I graduated from a sixth year in elementary school in Japan, I would then go to the sixth grade in American school. So I kind of did the sixth grade twice because of the time process. He's asking me what kind of dreams or ambitions I had when I was a kid growing up in Japan. <laughs> you know, like when I first came out from this rural area of Ibaraki, Tokyo, so I was like this fat kid that like, didn't really know the city. And I kind of been educated in a way where like my English wasn't perfect, I couldn't spell at all. 
And you know, my Japanese was maybe lacking at some degree because I'd skip classes and school off in the foreign room. So going into this like, sixth grade in the dormitory, it was at first a very difficult situation for me. I was out of my environment at this international school, living in a dorm. This was my sixth grade year, and uh, I just really didn't know what was going on. But that was maybe also the time when I started uh, having a little bit of uh, attitude problems or adolescence. Uh, when I was in junior high school, I uh, would uh, get in trouble a lot. I do the bad boy thing. He's describing how, when I was a kid, about every four years, you would go back to America for a year. It was like the Olympics. So my parents would be in Japan four years, go back one year. And uh, that year, when I was first going into junior high school I was very rebellious to my parents we had a well planned uh, family vacation to Europe but I just could not be a good boy I was giving my parents all sorts of crap and uh, so they had been talking about missionary parents about you know the possibility of like putting me into like reform school some sort of strict school that could get my attitude together and uh, they found out that the next city we were going to, Austin, Texas, actually had a very, very, very strict school, private school. And it was a Christian school. And they would allow missionary kids in for <coughs> So there you go. My parents put me into this private school in America and a whole other headache there. But started to fit in. See, this is what happens with third culture You go in there at first, you can't relate because you don't watch TV or you don't know what you're doing. But as you're there a little bit, it becomes easy. And it becomes like a default identity or something you can relate to that's easier than the one you know, the third culture, the one that's kind of like doesn't really exist. So uh, I was in America for the junior high year, and actually started to like And so my parents went back to Japan. Instead of going back to dorm school, I asked to stay in America by myself. So this is like in, in ninth grade. I was probably about 16 years old. Um, I stayed in America there. Uh, I'd been doing judo all my life. And that's where I started uh, doing a lot of freestyle wrestling. <coughs> my judo background basically kind of put me in advance. Um, so I had some good years of study of sports and came back to Japan maybe six months, a year later, on a kind of a different tone when I left Japan. I was uh, able to study more better. I was able to do sports much better. I was into girls. Uh, you know, I wasn't amazing at anything. But, uh, you know, I liked my music. I liked, you know, fashion. I liked it all a little bit. Uh, so when I got back, yeah, I was ready for, like, New Japan. <laughs> oh, wow. <coughs> Talking about yes, Tsukuda Midway is where I went to school. It's on this kind of the side of Tokyo. Uh, he's just asking about international school life there. <laughs> Well, uh, so until you start going bad in Japan was awesome for teenagers who wanted to get in trouble. You could buy cigarettes, beers out of the machine. There's no IDing at bars. You know, you could go to Rapongi, pick up girls. Uh, you, know, like, you could go wild. So Japan was easy to go wild. Um, 
You know, I was like, trying to be class president on one side, and getting away with a lot, taking advantage of the culture, maybe. So, I'm not sure if you're a good person. So, I'm not sure if you're a good person. I'm Caught me at the end of the summer red-handed. Oh, side note on this, uh, yeah, criminal record, huh? <laughs> this is blowing me away because the guy that I'm hearing here is 15 years ago. And, uh, I'm trying to decide if uh, I'm a kid, kid maybe I'm not that different. Like, I know he sounds really drunk. Yeah, that's one thing that's different about me now is I quit drinking 10 years ago. So, uh, that's the thing. There's a lot of things different about me in this guy. Oh, I'm still talking about the breaking and entering with my buddy friends. It's terrible. It wasn't easy for the police to bust us either because we were up in this mountainous area and there were like 30 cases of bringing entry and the police were on it and they were like, damn, these feet look big, right? Because we had the big American kid's feet. And they were like, oh, look at the size of these sneaker prints. It's got to be from those corners down there that get together in the summer. So, Pretty easy. <coughs> so, yeah, that was actually, I guess, thinking about it, the way he's talking about it, that was a bigger deal then than it would be now. ちゃんとやってますよ。一人、一人少年で。いや、なんかそう。あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あ
backwards and do seances, bringing the devil and uh, missionary kids. <laughs> They like to do that stuff. It's kind of the, the same uh, worldwide, you know, with uh, religious leaders, kids that they go on PKs in America, I think, or you know, MKs. That they either go really, really bad, or they're really, really good. And there's not really a bunch of neutral kids. So that dormitory experience was pretty crazy, right? Because like everybody was pretty bad or pretty good. <laughs> well, he's saying that, you know, that, that he can uh, often observe the try to play both sides of those, uh, try to go from being the really bad boy to you know, sometimes being, being the good boy. And uh, I was wondering if I'd always been that way. あ、そうだ。だから、そのよく的に使ったんだ。で、まあ、やっぱりその頃から。で、まあ、やっぱりその頃から。で、まあ、やっぱりその頃から。で、まあ、やっぱりその頃から。で、まあ、やっぱりその
初めて下してこうと。He's asking if I, you know, listen to metal and these punk bands. If, if I wanted to be in a band myself, I'd try that.、Um, I didn't really have、uh, that much interest in starting、uh, an instrument because a lot of time, like, I would listen to metal. Metal was about you know, playing the guitar fast, you know, it was about technique, a lot of practice. And,、uh, all things I didn't really like to do.、Uh, we'd go in the studio and we'd try to you know, play the guitar. Punk was much bigger for me because it was easy to play. You're asking me about Japanese music.、Um, you know, like normal kids growing up would watch public television and the idol groups and pop stars. And had I not been seeing that, and,、uh, I had. I, I watched a lot of Japanese TV growing up. And,、uh, I would、uh, watch popular shows that kids would watch. Like, I remember changing the channels to a more Saturday Night Live kind of older vibe.、Um, animation songs. Like, the first music I ever bought were the theme songs on cassette tape from animations. <laughs> He's asking me about how I got in the music industry, started working closely with it. Usually, because I started in the music industry really early.、Uh, um, like, I started in the alternative culture. Was this guy in season? He was just a character, right? He had an older brother. He knew a lot about the Japanese music. He was loaded. He was not very popular, but I became very close with this guy, CJ. He listened to a lot of Japanese indies like X Japan, Gas Tank, or these records that he had. On weekends, I'd go out of the dormitory and go stay at his house. And we'd,、uh, basically, he'd introduce me to you know, very extreme, very cool, very underground music.、Um, kind of about the time where, you know, like, as a young adult at school, sports, you know, like, I was really into wrestling.、Um, but this is also about the time where I got sick. I was dieting a lot. Wrestling, trying to go to different weight classes. And,、uh, lower weight classes something suddenly clicked, and I realized that、uh, I was really sick. It's like I couldn't gain any weight. I was losing more weight than I intended to. And、uh, I don't know, it was a weird time because like, there was something very physically wrong with me, but I didn't really know what it was.、Um, I was, you know, a rebellious kid. At school, they thought I was doing drugs. You know, that there was just something wrong with me. And I would say none of the above, but, well, to be honest, looking back, it was probably a little bit of all of the above. So that summer,、uh, when I was like, it was before, the year before I graduated、uh, from American school. During that summer, I got really sick and、uh, Lost consciousness somewhere and got taken to the hospital. And、uh, eventually ended up in a very advanced scientific hospital back in my parents' town at、uh, Scuba, which is where I was diagnosed with a disease called Crohn's disease,、uh, intestinal disease. 
And uh, that's where I kind of start battling with this Crohn's disease, um, which was quite severe. I was staying in the hospital for a long time and got transferred to a Japanese hospital with a specialist. This is in Tokyo. Uh, it was a prolonged hospital stay. <coughs> and it was at that hospital that I actually got into the music business. In the same hospital was a famous, uh, now famous musician named Oyamada Kego. He's known as the Flippers Guitar. Uh, other people know him as Cornelius. Uh, we were in the hospital together. And uh, we were two young, crazy kids in the hospital. He was in for a traffic accident. I was Crohn's disease. And then we became really, really close in the hospital, just hanging out. <coughs> so, uh, yeah, Oyamada in the hospital. We were on this uh, floor with private rooms. He uh, had a, his parents' insurance. <laughs> <laughs> on the private room floor, basically, you got rich people and people who had uh, We were pretty much the only kids there. And, uh, we'd uh, want to have a cigarette. He was bedridden. But the nurse would wheel him out of his private room once a day to have a cigarette. And uh, I was only 17, but I was smoking like a chimney. So I met him in the cigarette lounge. And, uh, he had everything he owned on a bed. He couldn't get out of the bed. And had this guitar there. And, uh, and uh, started teaching me, uh, We used to hang out I mean, like, we'd stay up all night doing things. And, uh, you know, sneak in and stay in elevators until scared nurses in them are not smoking, gambling. Uh, kind of an all-night thing that we would do. We were like pranksters, you know, these kids in a hospital. So that's how we got to know each other really he had just uh, he had just released uh, a demo album which was bad flippers so I remember even like the Japanese music press would come to interview him in his hospital right? and, uh, all that was you know, brand new stuff to me so he started asking me what kind of music I liked I was like in Black Sabbath and like uh, metal and, uh, and he finally uh, actually played me his, his record and man I was like metal punk kid and I was like man what it was a basically you know Britpop, really light, kind of bubblegum Britpop. Um, and I'm like, yo, man, this shit sucks, and your English is terrible, because he was singing in English. And uh, back to the complex thing, right? Uh, and he's like, wow, you know, that, I, but I want to sing my song in English. And I was like, well, dude, man, I'll help you, you know, with your English. Uh, you know, not about, I don't know about the music, but I'll help you with the English. Well, anyways, uh, he got kicked out of the hospital because we got, like, set off fire on smoking pot or something. And uh, when I eventually got out of the hospital, we were in touch, and he called me up to come to a studio to help him do these music lyrics to a single, his first, like, major label single that they were releasing. And, uh, that was it. That was, you know, still during the bubble in Japan. A lot of money everywhere. Um, I came out of the hospital, but didn't really want to go back to middle school. 
um, or high school, because I was just about to graduate anyways, and like the school was nice enough that like they weren't like holding me to like missed days or whatever. <coughs> but I started going to this record company and uh, helping him out. And uh, I would tell the school that I still had to go to the hospital, but I was actually going to the record company and working there, helping them out with some international stuff. And uh, that's where we came close. I was in high school, and uh, you know, like on my graduation day at high school, which I did attend to, I had to go to uh, Fuji Television to uh, inter- interpret for one of Polystyrene's artists who was uh, very unfaithful. <laughs> and, uh, so I was on live TV translating the news for the day I graduated from high school. <coughs> but anyways, I didn't tell the record company that I was in high school, so when they found out, they got kind of pissed off that they were, like, hiring a minor. Um, and that summer, I guess, uh, when I graduated from high school, the record company is not so sure if they want to, you know, hire a minor, a lot of things going on. Uh, entertainment business is interesting, but this is where the third culture kid thing kicks in. And you grow out of being a third culture kid, Often because of logistics, your parents would literally go back to wherever they were from, or you would continue your education back in mother's land. <coughs> so, the majority of cases, three culture kids in Japan would graduate from international high school, go back to college in the UK, America, Canada, wherever they're from. And so you scattered. <coughs> and that summer I realized I could you know, stay in Japan and work for this music industry. But there was no one around, right? All my friends were gone. And I just for a second thought, oh, well, I maybe should go to school the default thing. I uh, got accepted to a university where my sister was in America. Um, and just kind of con- out of confusion, was like, okay, I'm going to go to America, go to school. So I flew over there and uh, didn't like it. Uh, and it's like, America just doesn't feel right. It never did because... I didn't really relate to the culture of the kids that were there. I mean, I didn't watch the TV, and I didn't say jokes. You know, I didn't maybe listen to the same music. Um, it, just, you know, it wasn't something, like, I, I wasn't having fun, because my fun was in Tokyo. It was with people I knew. It was, you know, about the way I lived in Japan. And it was nothing to do with what I was in America. The bubble in Japan kept me working at college. I had a fax machine in my dormitory. It was good days. So, like, I could send a few faxes to the UK, book a couple studios, boom, $10,000. And so, uh, it was, yeah, crazy good money. And, uh, I don't know. <coughs> I was in college in America, but I uh, bought like a course that would allow me to go study theater in the UK because I had all this money. And the record they said they were going to pay for it. So I'd go record something with, uh, with Kego, with Flippers Guitar. They started becoming big in Japan at that time. They were getting a lot of attention. So I went uh, from America to stay in the UK and uh, work with my friend Kego for a couple months. Right, and this is like when I'm 19, 18, 18, I guess. And, uh, and head over there. So when I got back to America after all that, I just about to finish my first year exams done. But I kind of got through this, like, identity panic again. But I realized that if I you know, finished this year and came back the next year, I was going to do exactly what happened to all the other third culture kids I saw. It was like watching my sister. Like, you meet somebody over there. Like, that's the first time I had a white girlfriend. Was in America. You meet someone over there, you fall in love, you get married, you graduate from university, you get a job. And that's it, man. You know, the next thing you know, you're actually 
rooted there, if that <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> so that's when I uh, get back to Japan. Uh, right before I left Japan, I had been uh, in the international department at Polystar Records. Um, that's where I was doing stuff for like uh, Marion Faithful or you know, anything. Uh, Island Records, Anthrax, free catalogs. Or if these artists would come to Japan, the international department would put me as an interpreter, as a translator for these guys. So basically, you know, run through the magazine, article, interviews, or TV, or radio, whatever. So, this guy Stevie Salas, actually, I the first tour I was in charge of, and he, he did about 30 magazine interviews, right? Every day, all about guitar magazines, Joyce Hadrian, where's your upbringing, how to with George Clinton. And uh, after about the 12th interview, I had every answer down to memory. Right? So the following editors that would come <laughs> in, not to be surprised that this kind of young white kid speaking Japanese, but how quick and fast he was on the translations. I mean, I just had it memorized, but these people were like, yo, this kid's a genius! So uh, I was lucky to have that background um, before I went to America. Because uh, I came back and went straight into a freelance translating career. Every day, there's uh, press and magazine interviews, morning to night. You know, I still do some of that in some sense, um, but, you know, at that time, myself was telling me then that, you know, that, that is really how I kind of, like, got really into music. I was, when I was in America, I got into, like, alternative culture. You know, there was, like, I was, you know, getting into Jane's Addiction, or Red Hot Chili Peppers, Red Hot Chili Peppers, more independent, like, uh, Firehose, you know, it's like, I loved indie stuff. But in Japan, I would actually start doing these interviews with people, even though I didn't know them. And uh, they would definitely be, you know, heavily influencing me. Um, it still kind of, you know, leads to my life at the time this interview is done. Um, I was somehow reluctant to be a freelance person. Um, he's talking about at the time when I was 30, when I was 20, you know, it was still a bit scary for me to go, you know, single-handedly in this industry. So I took a job at a music publishing company. Um, Kago was doing really well, uh, Blue's Guitar had boomed, so I was in office learning publishing, and uh, was there as a contract, like a uh, employee, but um, that actually was a, a, a turning point for me, I had to go, like I did choose at Polystar, is either work for them or go freelance, or go for freelance. Um, I was at that office when I auditioned for an FM station in Osaka at 21 uh, as a new DJ. And uh, so all about that time, this is like in 91, uh, 92, suddenly I was getting approached by these people that I met translating for these rock stars, saying, hey, how would you like to try a TV show? There's a national TV show out of Tokyo, and there's a radio show out of Osaka. It kind of all started right then. But still, even at the time, you know, I was worried about my future, worried about money. Yeah. I was just you uh, in the business. I wasn't getting paid that much. Couldn't make a living by it. But uh, and I wasn't making wise decisions either. You know, <laughs> like the first TV show I got started making real money. I spent all the money on an indie label. Like, uh, well, that's another story altogether. But the environments would change, and uh, you know, I've been going through some years of doing lucky translating work. He's uh, talking about the transition from being an interpreter to being in the media. 
He's asking about my background at the station I was working with him at, Space Shower TV. Um, my background there was actually 25 years ago. Um, I'd met somebody through somewhere, and they had asked me to do some corner uh, work, some acting kind of roles. I actually did a documentary on Phil Spector. This is like, I was like 20, 21. Um, after that, I often did characters. I was always doing characters where I you know, didn't have to actually be the real me, but to kind of play along with some kind of characters that worked well in the media. So, uh, back in 92, 93, we're talking about, when I uh, first started doing these TV shows, um, I was really young, and I really liked my music. But I went, you know, from being a background of interpreter to this his generation, like June's generation, knowing me. As this kind of, uh, as kind of like this on-air personality, and like I wasn't sure myself. <laughs> I didn't realize at the time, like while these radio shows, it was a weird complex. I didn't couldn't decide if I was in that position because I spoke Japanese because I was you know this bilingual kid. It's, you know, the complex that has been bothering my whole life, actually, what put me in that place. You know, it's like, I, I would often you know, remember thinking back, it's like, you know, does this have to be me or just some puppet in front of the mic? Um, not sure, you know, what my calling was. But I remember my first producer at the radio show really getting pissed off at me out drinking once when I told him about that. And he was like, he got upset with me. He's like, man, if, if it was anybody that would do this job, I wouldn't be here drinking with you, right? Like, have a little confidence. And, uh, and that was good. <coughs> That's when I kind of decided that, you know, I was in this position for some reason, and, like, I was having fun, right? I was having tons of fun. And, uh, just going for it, yeah? I kept getting sick, and uh, it was, like, sick, and then... You know, going behind the scenes in the music industry in the front. I remember, like, when I was on uh, network TV, uh, you know, people would come up to me, Oh, you're the guy on TV. But I'm feeling sick, I'm battling Crohn's disease, getting the surgery. And I'm thinking, you know, man, I ain't a guy from a TV. I had more of an identity as, like, a, an interpreter. So, you know, that's when it all kind of rest off. But I wasn't really sure where I was set out. I was, like, you know, like, really young 21, 22, 23. Uh, Kind of just, you know, uh, I'm about, oh, I'm about wow, this is crazy background. Something I didn't even want to reflect on. Uh, when I was doing uh, Mega uh, Mani show, this is in 923, one of the first Japanese artists that I really got to know real well was the Japanese noise band called The Boredoms. And uh, actually, I was out with the Beastie Boys when they wanted to go see this like alternative Japanese noise band called the Boredoms. We met there. Um, I was working with Sonic Youth. They were good friends with Sonic Youth. And uh, before I knew it, I was uh, married to the drummer of the Boredoms. Like this, is like I was 24, 25. Crazy times. Uh, you know, we were rushing off to Lollapalooza tours in America, touring with uh, Nirvana, uh, all the bands that, you know, I was friends with and they were friends with were just exploding in this alternative boom. And uh, it was rock and roll writing, you know, it's like we got married in, uh, in Vegas. <laughs> oh, God, I hadn't thought about that in a long time. Uh, so, back to the interview. <laughs> 
で大阪のレギュラーがずっとあった。One of the things I'm going back to about live radio and living in this stuff is that, you know, like, no matter what happened in life and the inconsistencies, as long as I had weekly shows and they were on my face every week, all the time, that became my identity. So I was going back and forth from Osaka to this radio station there twice a week on the bullet train three hours back and forth to Tokyo, and uh, doing uh, these TV shows, getting married. And uh, a couple of things happened, you know, during that period. Uh, that's when I did the indie label I was talking about. I really liked industrial music. And、uh, so I spent all the money I made from TV and made the 7 inch label, which was a bad mistake. <laughs>、um, that was the beginning of the third culture naming for the third culture vision for the work that I was doing.、Um, I left the record, came back to Japan, and I kind of had made some promises maybe to myself that, you know, I'm a foreigner in Japan, or I'm a foreigner in America. You know, I'm a foreigner wherever I go. So when I came back to Japan, I decided that I was going to make an identity in this third culture where I'm not Japanese, I'm not American. I'm just in between things. And、uh, so. That's what I wanted to do with my life. Because、uh, I didn't have this identity, I didn't have,、like、this, this identity problem just because it was different. And so, what I wanted to do through a label or work or anything was kind of make it okay for people to have this kind of identity. That this is you know, a modern situation in the world, and that it's not strange to have people like me around.、Uh, so, I wanted to make a life that reflected that third culturism. And that's why I'd come back to Japan out of college and、uh, you know, kind of gave up on whatever education was going on there. I just wanted to come back and see if I could you know, raise awareness. Got some friends that were in the same case. We started doing companies together, events together. We started doing like,、uh, labels.、Um, you know, I had experience from a record company. And I had, you know, and I had、uh, experience in money in the music industry. I had this idea, and like my ideas were good. And when I have a good idea, I try to like get people involved in the idea, right? Because maybe you know, I don't have to get up and go to finish the idea myself, like take it single handedly. So I would basically get as many people around me to share a vision or share something and,、uh, and try something, try to go doing things. And、uh, when I started having problems with my We all had different visions, we wanted to do different things. That's when that vision kind of like started to fade out. It's like, you know, like I didn't want to go at it alone,、uh, but at the same time, I didn't see like an immediate vision.、Um, I started personally becoming really, really、uh, more creative.、Uh, As a musician, until kind of quite, quite recently, this is probably when I was about 30, I've done a lot of music in Japan,、um, vocalists and bands like that have come across the industry. But he's asking me about my interest in creating. 
expressions. And this was uh, in 2000. And it's uh, interesting for me to hear this right now for the first time because right now, 43 years old, my life's all about being creative. And that's all I actually do is uh, try to find an expression that, that's not linked to words about creation. Um, his question, I'm telling him, is that my creativity is a very, is a very sensitive issue. It's uh, that I'm somehow afraid of being creative or to allow my creative expressions out. And that's why I was an MC and a host of shows and not an artist. Um, that I was very afraid to let my inner feelings out. Um, I don't know, it sounds like, you know, I'm talking about complexes. Um, and for me to be able to actually express the real fears in my life or the real voice that I'm holding on to, um, that's been an underlying topic and something I was afraid of. And at this time of the interview, <coughs> I was uh, going to be, you know, winning the MC role and be focusing on the creative role. <laughs> so I had that pen back then. Um, you know, there's a lot of bands that I'd done, and there were some, you know, good bands I did, but I was always afraid to let those out, the lyrics being sensitive or whatnot. I mean, like, uh, that was, I'm telling him there that it's a step I was still to pursue. He asked me why I did an indie label. <coughs> I mean, it was a Japanese bank of stereo, killer industry. Right? Like, why it was that I had done that? And I'm telling him that I wasn't really quite sure. I guess it was, I was in a position to do it, and I liked it. Uh, Nuki Pikes, I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Got to go back and explain that I don't have much memory of the 90s now, and I didn't then, but it was people that I met early in the industry. It was a, like a sound guy from this show, another editor from that guy, somebody from the art department of this show, and uh, these guys were cool guys, and they had bands, they had Japanese indie stuff, and they were just the people I hung out with and did things with. Um, I was starting to get a bit famous, so I could actually, you know, get people to these events. People were actually paying attention. So it was a natural, you know, kind of flow for me to do these events with people I liked about things that I did like. Um, he's saying that he thinks that I'm quite uh, actually calculating person, and that I don't actually like go with things unless I kind of have a feeling that, that there's some kind of success there and that it could actually work. Um, yeah, uh, he's talking about an influential band called Nuki Pikes that uh, I liked, and I was working with Henry Rollins at the time from Black Flag, and uh, very hardcore. He was very uh, mind-opening to a lot of thoughts, and this band, Nuki Pikes, uh, one of the members of the band was married to a foreigner, right? and uh, the MC he was opening act for... Uh, for he was, uh, he was, they were an opening act for Henry Rollins, and the MC guy basically said, hey, take a look around the crowd, see if you see any foreigners, and see if you can change the way you look at them. And, it, man, it was, like, pretty shaken for me. I was sitting there going, wow, that is what, you know, I've been trying to express. And here's these guys saying that right in front of me. And uh, that, was, uh, that was pretty big for me. Um, a couple times that has happened, you know, in my life. But, yeah, at the time of this interview... 
、talking about '94. And,、uh, and how that had influenced me around 2001. Actually, it still influences me to this day. So he's talking to me now about as I get through and start doing things、um, that you know, like that maybe progress started making. He said, you know, like he's changed、um, about how he looks at foreigners, maybe through working with me. You know, and like this, for some reason. He feels that you know people like of his generation that knew me from my shows and saw me. They didn't really see me as a foreigner, or they didn't see me as a Japanese. It was quite. A, they saw me as a unique character. It was actually if I started to realize that this was happening, and that maybe I was reaching some of my goals.、Um, I don't know. Maybe I was telling them that I was disillusioned at my own mission. You know, I'm definitely、uh, talking. You know, at the time I was disillusioned because I would make a label, seven inch, take them to record shops, and then have to have an invoice for them and whatnot. And I was like, yo, I can't do that stuff, right? It's like. You know, like, I, I wasn't a paper pusher. I couldn't even read and write to that extent, right? I was like, I was busy.、Um, you know, like back then, I couldn't hire somebody to do it, make somebody do it, and I couldn't do it. So for me, it was big. Of where you have to be, like in life, to get that stuff done. Like at the time, I was in the city, I had a lot more money, a lot more position. Yeah, this trip I was on. You know, I don't know. もっと打ったから、レールだけなんですけど、これもいらない話だけど、それを進めようとして、コラプテルとか、出して、結局コラプテルとかマニアックスで、俺は好意で、好きでやってることですら、かまわれしちゃって,って。それに一回、怖いんでみたいな、まあ、もう嫌だ。もう一番近い俺は好きでこれをやってるんだそれを俺に言うんだと。いい。From where I was, that was kind of too hardcore, too indie, and、uh, that was kind of a disillusioned spot as well. Because,、uh, I was doing fun, right?、Uh, he's going back to my marriage, my first marriage with Yoshimi.、Uh, By the way,、um, since happily remarried. So, what is that? SBO, Tottsan, to the event, and Osaka. SBO, Osaka, speed metal band. Mad、um, in Japan. そこからね、サウカルチャーからマッドインジャパンに変わんねえな。その辺の気持ちっていうか、その時はだから、すごくさっきから言ってた、その一生外人で育ってるとか、なんかそういう考え方を変えてみるのすごい強いですよね。それを超訴えてたんですよ。
And uh, so I was always you know, talking about Mad in Japan. And that was the, 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 the grind metal and the speed metal and death metal. And, you know, all these ex- intense expressions. <laughs> He's going back to now when we started working together at Space Shower TV. Um, this was a, a TV program that I was a producer for that I wrote. And by the time we had met, I was already very like indie Japan. We're both laughing because none of us have a very good memory of the I guess I was doing a lot of narration work and these Osaka jobs. Doing all these fun things. My wife was teaching me a lot about it. Getting deeper and deeper into subculture, basically. This is in the mid 90s. And it was fun. So I became more and more kind of a freaky person as well. You know, I was like having problems about not changing my bath water. And uh, I skipped the story, but back in the early 90s, like 91, 92, I met a Japanese vocalist um, She was a Japanese J-pop singer. And on the first album I met her at the radio station, she was really hot. And I really liked her voice. I liked her. And, uh, we became uh, really good friends. Her husband is uh, Tadano Basano, who's an actor. At the time, he wasn't you know, the famous actor that he is now. But um, our relationship was actually a big part of my 90s. Uh, she got married to Tadanobu. Tadanobu um, uh, and I became really close after that. But one thing Chala had uh, introduced me to was a director called Yuai Shinji who was making a Japanese movie called Swallowtail Butterfly. Yintown <coughs> uh, <coughs> This was right in the mid-90s. Chara had uh, introduced me to the director of this movie because he was writing a movie about maybe a futuristic Japan uh, where borders and slums had become Tokyo. Um, so I ended up working on this big movie. I basically wrote the international script and became a dialogue director for a first feature movie. And for three months of my life at that time, it was morning, four o'clock in the morning, till get home at two o'clock in the morning. And it was heavy, hard duty, right? That's all I did was uh, work on the movie. And uh, <coughs> that for me was like a, another interesting thing because uh, I concentrated on the project. And since it was a super creative project, um, part of the script was about third culture, right? The director had incorporated this concept of an international identity crisis in, in Tokyo in the future. <coughs> So, you know, like, that experience of working on that, uh, things started to, like, not go well with my wife, on the set all the time. Um, I had become kind of really hardcore, in a sense, mentally, by taking on this big project. Um, going back to Osaka, long distance uh, wedding. Um, she was in Osaka, I was in Tokyo. Um, I was flying around the world going to like Woodstock 2 for the radio shows uh, there was like it was crazy I was doing a lot of different things but it was cool. so the movie 
サードカルチャーとは、サードと言われてるのに紹介されたときに、サードカルチャーキッズ、他の人にも必ずこの感覚があるんだ。そう、訴えて、岩井俊二がポーンって来て書いた話があるんだ。だから最初の小説という台本があって、ライアンの大学に具体化していくときに、子供たちが生まれてて、もともとはケンタフリックがやったキャラクターが俺だったんだけど、I was making very good money. I was just translating. I could make $6,000 here. And I was like, I did a lifestyle was good,、um, but it had changed the way I worked.、Um, I wanted to do something more on professional level. And that is when I started working at Space Hour TV and,、uh, with Cogwitz and Fury.、Uh, they had an idea of me coming to write a show about alternative music. And, uh, And that's what I did. We went in and we wrote, like, you know, like the jackass before jackass, Beavis and Butthead kind of stupid Japanese TV show for a Japanese music network TV. So we, you know, we gave it a shot.、Um, another thing I did this year around that time, mid 90s. Is working you know, with w a m a l o and c o r n e l i u s We did an album together called、uh, 1996 where I wrote the lyrics to the album with him.、Um, I ended up writing you know, lyrics with him throughout my career. Uh, a lot of artists actually. <coughs> But that album came out. We did it very closely together. We went on tour together. In a sense, like,、uh, things have kind of like changed around me. It's like I was in this album, I'd done the movie, the alternative boom in Japan was in full circle. So, you know, like, at the time, these artists that have translated were becoming big. So that's where you know, the network TV producing and writing show started. It was they were like, why don't you take your connections and your, you know, your insight into that and start writing shows? So that's what we did. <coughs> so that program s u f f e r e d all kind of became crazy. They had an interview with me being the guy on network TV that could emcee a host and introduce interesting alternative music. So that's one of the things I did because one of my good friends at the time was a guitarist for the band, Kida. And so they expected to be a cool show, but the thing is, I was really good at the time. And so, like, 
ライフタイムレーションだったりとか、ハーグスナウ、オールディーズミュージシャン、オールディーズバンド、みんなの将来が楽しみなんだよ。One of my assistants would say, uh, <laughs> 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 and I'm starting to see that point loud and clear. So, Right now, it's coming to a peak. My staff have grown with me, that June has grown with me, that you know, we don't know where we started, but right now we got 11 radio and TV shows. And for me, it's not something what is it that drove me to do what I was doing and, and do that force? I to it. And so, right now, drugs and alcohol and whatnot. Get back to my roots, and where I am. You know, the first show that we did, 
really ただ、自分の間でね、ま、ま、ま、ま、ま、ま、ま、ま、ま、ま、ま、ま、ま、ま、ま、ま、ま、ま、ま、ま、ま、ま、ま、ま、ま、ま、ま、ま、ま、ま
I was uh, having major fights with the station about staff and uh, and I guess part of my deal of starting this was that I got my own staff so that was another big part of that show <laughs> 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 because uh, I got in a big big fight at Space Hour about my own fast staff and June was one of them and I was like man I am so glad we got in that fight because uh, that's how we started and that's where we were 10 years and that's where we had you know the show that was ending and quitting out of our own will at the best time possible and, uh, so, you know, stubborn. I'm talking again about, you know, how I started traveling around Japan. You know, what it was that actually got me, you know, like, to start doing, these, like, non-stop massive amounts of shows. What was I thinking? And I'm telling him that I don't really know what it was. You know, what I do know is that, you know, like, we were heading in the right direction with something. So it was about, you know, going for it. See if we could just gun it. And uh, that's when uh, Third Golden took off as a company as well. So this is where I take a piss break. And... Oh, あ、よく最初会った人とかがそんなことやってるのと思えないホース。その He's talking about how you know things start to really pick up. You know, it was an ugly fight, but everything started to go well. All the staff started to grow. All my assistants started to grow. And like uh, that, you know, it was an exciting period. That you know, like, I took on at that period the company Third Culture. You know, it was like. That was the company name that I started at the you know, late 90s. He was asking me if there's something that made me kind of kick the third culture gear back in. The expression of that and maybe not being so caught up about you know, my own personal experience. Um, Jim, the, you know, the vision never died. It's all there. And, uh, it's just that I was you know, doing step-by-step work. Uh, that you know, there's steps. And, uh, that, you know, like maybe one of those steps was actually that in the early days when I realized I couldn't do anything but alone, that realizing that there were people around, like June included, that, you know, could do something, that could move something, that could get things going. Is that still something that, that you want to show? Well, you know, I'm telling him that I forgot about that third culture vision, about, like, the, you know, one stop and all, like, music industry building that we did things the way we wanted. And I had forgotten about that then, and I forgot about that now. And, uh, you know, 
その人脈と自分の性格のマッチで例えばじゃサーブカーズに行くと、um, uh, 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 そう。So, maybe, you know, by quitting everything at this timing in my life right now, maybe I'm, you know, I'm setting that back up. Maybe I'm going to, you know, like, redo it.、Uh, I'm telling him that my honest thing is that I'm really、uh, confused right now, that I'm really kind of uncertain. That a lot of my things are about people. And, like, the people that are around me and the rhythms that we breathe. <coughs> so, you know, like, maybe this quitting right now is the only chance I can do to drop it all, to step away, to walk away, and to step out of this thing.、Um, so, there's something inside of me that's maybe, you know, like, making a motivation behind me that I was able to gather these people, I was able to do these things, I was able to, like, move on with my life in a way that was somehow within a. Progressive kind of mission that I'd set out to do. And maybe that, you know, I'm setting out on these travels, you know, that on the risk that maybe these people won't come back here, this network won't, won't be there again. Or that maybe it will be, you know, it's like, and then, like, you know, I'm sure there's going to be something next that we can, you know, go out and network with and franchise, but we can take things to a different, different step when we get back. But I guess, yeah, he's checking that, you know, is that what I'm up to? Is that what I'm doing? Am I going out there to, you know, to find out something? Am I out to you know, prove something to myself? Or, you know, what it is? So I'm telling him that, yes, you know, it is that, that what I need to do right now is to take myself out of this environment that I had put myself in. That I, you know, like take myself and once again put myself in an environment where nobody knows who I am. No one knows who my background is. No one who knows who I'm pissed off about. You know, it's like, are you going to be able to get out there and talk to people on that level? Are you going to get them to understand you out there? You know, maybe that's what I want to find out by going out there. And of course, you know, there's a thing that makes me want to reset. But, you know, like, There's a thing about like, this live radio, this live performance. And, like, I made live broadcast, you know, the core identity of, of my life. And I hadn't realized something by, by doing live broadcast all the time that you know, as long as you show up and do the shows, You,、uh, you, know, you make good money, and that money starts to roll out. And,、uh, and as you make more money, it starts to roll, but you become you know, 
you, you have an identity in the lifestyle where that allows you to be interesting people to do interesting things. Like assy, you know? Oh, or something when I come back, maybe the people won't pay me any attention. What I want to do, but I guess the, the, thing, the thing that's really kind of like the one thing on my mind is that everything is really going well. You know, I'm at my professional peak right now, and uh, I can do work that I want to do. I can do work that I don't want to do. I can get it done. You know, and like so, why am I stepping out of there? That's the weird part that kind of like <laughs> screws, screws my head in a little bit. But you know, you gotta be checked. And uh, this is where June is telling me that, you know, he thinks I'm going to be able to do it again. He thinks I'm going to pull it off. You know, there's, there's, you know, no telling which way it'll fall, you know. So, you know, maybe it's when I come back that, you know, that that's going to, like, fall into place with me. It's like, what if I have, you know, like, kind of feelings that that is something that's ahead of me, that when I come back there, yeah. I'm that right now, you know, it's the hardest time for me, and right now it's like, I'm, you know, constant battle of, like, should I not go to this trip, you know? You know, it's like super real, I'm like, you know, I don't know. ただちょっとなんか今日今、いや、カウチャーが聞いてふって思ったら、あの、カウチャーっていう国の、ね、ですね。ですね。ですね。ですね。ですね。ですね。ですね。ですね。ですね。ですね。ですね。ですね。です
You know, like, for the first time, you know, you can only face your fears if you step off the plank, right? But if you're like that into, like, traveling, then you must have you know, a plan. Where I'm telling you that I have no plan, it's no interest in traveling. I look at the world map, have no idea where I want to go or what I want to do. I don't have any of that. So it's, not, it's, not that. it's not like where I want to go. It's like, it's not a cultural interest. It's like seeing the wonders of the world or anything. I just want to get out. I just want to escape. There's like this roller coaster ride that's been on. And like, you know, kind of see what happens when you reset things, right? You step back, you know, I'm telling him that I'm 30. You know, I might come back to Japan. I'm in a really good position. And I might be dropping it all. So, anyways, you know, like... Well, that's, you know, a decision made. I got my ticket. I'm on my way. Goodbye. And, uh, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna scream and shout about it on my way out. I'm telling them that, you know, I do have kind of thoughts that I'm thinking, you know. Like, I've recently met a lot of people, and like, and I've recently realized that I've got these connections and this thing going on in life where I'm meeting interesting people and doing interesting things, that, you know, maybe my calling is, is that, you know, quite simply, I'm an idea man, you know, and like, I have these ideas, and they seem to be good, and uh, they're a perspective that I get from seeing things out of this unique third culture view of things it's like maybe I'm propping myself up that uh, in a situation where now I'm meeting people that can take things to another level for me that I can maybe you know focus on ideas uh, that I can you know maybe create a new world based around these things that I've learned and these unique experiences that I'm having so you know it's hard to say there's no way for any of us to know but, you know, like maybe we can get ahead of the game. You know, like, you know, we get funding to do the kind of things that we're doing. And like, we, you know, we go sell our own networking rights or merchandising or start to, you know, take the power into our own hands on a bigger level, on a financial level. You know, like, I saw a dream about it. It's like a power shift of doing things. You know, based on a, a real thought. And, like, you know, for the first time in my life, this has actually become a reality where I can, you know, get millions of dollars together to do something. <coughs> so, you know, I don't know. So, like, you know, we have these ideas to form and see, you know, if we can set ourselves up, bring people in, and do things from a genuine level. People that see things. But it's, he's saying that, you know, it's the third culture spirit. That, you know, maybe we are actually, you know, finding ourselves in a generation where we've reflected these ideologies in music and lifestyle. But that, that same lifestyle actually probably transmits and you know, has outlets and other outlets of life. That it could be very relevant in the business culture or you know, political culture or, you know, to a new global network that isn't necessarily bound by nationalistic thoughts of uh, race, religion, or, you know, it could be that, is uh, what Kagutsi is saying, that maybe, you know, there's a new, there's a new page about to return with our generation. 
Yeah, I hope so. You know? well, that's what the plan is. Yeah. Of course, there's going to be nationalism. You know, but what do you have by connecting beyond that? By connecting, you know, from what you see in these countries, or that part I just made. <laughs> so we break down the walls, the barriers. You know, it becomes a little bit more, a little bit more about music, a little bit more about something. So, you know, this could have been the starting grounds, could have been just the beginning of something. Like a big Maybe the difficulty mission. You know, I'm not Japanese, I'm not American. But, you know, at least I want to be recognized that there are my kind of people that, you know, as a phenomenon of my generation, there are people like this. Right? And, like, they see things from a unique position because of the boundaries that culture puts up. You know, we don't put it up. They, they put it up that foreigners can't speak Japanese. So, so we make this up. We make a culture. We're setting up, you know, something that... I'm thinking a little bit deeper, maybe. We're getting some know-how behind our belts. You know, we're people that can maybe relate to us. Maybe there's a little bit of a scene involved there. So he's saying, I guess I'm off you know, to see that stuff. But, you know, is that what you want to do when you get back? What are you, what are you thinking when you get back? You get in a glimpse that you think you might can do it? And I'm like, well, I don't know. And he's like, yeah, but we got to close this interview off. <laughs> Well, I do have a contract when I get back and I'm talking about, you know. Maybe I can start a radio. Maybe I'll find some answers on the road. But, you know, I don't know. It's reflecting history. It's reflecting, we'll see, you know, what the future. So, as he wraps up that interview, I'm trying to wrap up my interview. And while 43 years old, sitting in Tokyo and Aoyama, where I was born, and I've turned into a hermit. <laughs> After I came back from my travels, I uh, had a few very, very successful years back at it. And then I crashed and burned, like, big time, right? And, you know, for a long time after that, I uh, kind of didn't know what to do with myself. Got really sick again. Started a production company, did really great. Kind of dropped all that off again. And right now I just sit at home and make music and think about, like, ideas. The interview is talking about that 10 years when I'm 40... You know, let's hope that you know, like that I'm having another like part or another thing to talk about. So I don't know, you know, these answers I'm not gonna answer in this question because my little journey is definitely still going on. But um yeah, you know <laughs> the really fucking sad part of listening to this interview is that I haven't changed at all. 
<laughs> I was a drug addict loser then and I am now. You gotta get my shit together because I got some ideas. I do believe in a new global world. You know? There's some peak going on. Then, like, I don't know. Right now, you know, like, I'm in a weird part of my life, 43 years old in Tokyo. But this guy, 30, back then, uh, we were kind of talking about the same stuff. Um, interesting, huh? Fuck. Wow, wow, wow. There's so much I wish I could tell you about the last 15 years of my life. Um, I don't know. I just had a baby, little daughter, a nine-year-old son. <laughs> <laughs> I've done a lot and I'm hoping to do a lot more he's asking me how I expect to die I'm telling him that I actually have a constant fear that I'm going to die especially now and I'm saying that because at the time I'm saying I got asthma I'm smoking doing drugs drinking morning tonight you know I wake up bloody you know it's like I think I'm probably gonna die of some accident or something you know like I know I'm living that kind of lifestyle and that doesn't necessarily make me happy you know it's not that I want to die but I am living a lifestyle that you know that I'm gonna I'm gonna die and like hope that this interview doesn't become the last one he's saying then but the fact is you know what I actually did die after that and uh, some shit happened that you know well I'm not going to tell that story yet. we are where we are um, 1991 2001 2011 it's 2015 and, uh, what do you do what do you do people say you should do that you should do this you know I don't know what I should do the interview's done but I've done thousands of interviews right hundreds of artists and all of those were actually really important like meetings you know like and I never took you know I never took record of it it's before the internet there's no pictures I didn't get autographs you know, I didn't save any of that. And, like, maybe part of that is unfortunate. I mean, I, there's episodes like the 90s bands. I mean, I met most of the 90s bands. You know, and I don't have a whole lot to show for it. <coughs> but that's, you know, who I am. I'm drunk. I'm living in the moment. I'm like, you know, gunning it. But I do want to make that an expression. I do think that somehow I can express that one day. And, uh, you know, let's just do it. Let's keep going. And, like, see if we can, like, you know, find out what the rest of that story is. So back now to 2015, this is a fucking brutal experience for me, talking to myself. And believe it or not, oh, shit. Oh, man, I got to get to radio. I got a show starting in about four hours. Bye. <laughs> Let's start back at the top again.